lots of Republicans voted for me in the Senate to substitute its judgment for the people in picking a president. They are ready for someone to take the reins. We need more engagement in this public discourse and not less. Just listen. I think that's what I need to do is just really listen. What's up, Tennessee? Welcome to TriStar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson, here to give you the latest on politics here in the TriStar State. If you haven't, don't forget to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TriStar Talk. A new report came out that suggests that some prisons were concerned about the coronavirus effects on prisoners way back in February. This comes out as we learn that about 600 inmates and staff have tested positive for the virus at the Bledsoe County Correctional Complex. Dr. Emma Rich first realized COVID-19 might become a problem there, saying that the issue came up during a medical staff meeting. Someone said female inmates had started hearing about the new virus making its way around the globe, making them anxious. The Bledsoe County Correctional Complex soon became the first Tennessee prison to have a major outbreak of the virus. It is now one of the largest hotspots in the United States. Staff, inmates, and their relatives say officials were unprepared when the virus first hit and have scrambled to keep up ever since. They described nurses who were told not to wear face masks. Sick and healthy prisoners alike were locked together in cells. They went days without showers or the ability to call home. Dr. Rich says this was 100% preventable and that what the correctional complex has done is unforgivable. By early April, the Department of Correction had finally updated its official policy to allow both inmates and staff to wear cloth face coverings. Widespread distribution at all state prisons began in April as well. But as of last week, 16 employees left the prison, 13 of them voluntarily, 11 of them were correctional officers, and other staff members have temporarily been unable to work after testing positive for the virus themselves. They have undoubtedly made mistakes in their life, but none of these men or women were sentenced to death, says Dr. Rich. All of these prisoners deserve and are legally required to get adequate health care. And part of adequate health care is infectious disease prevention and protection from outbreaks. And they weren't provided that. And I'm going to keep bringing this up. This is something I mentioned very early on in this in this podcast, that this was going to happen, that prisoners were not going to be treated fairly. They're not going to be treated like everyone else. They weren't given adequate protection. And there are serious legal ramifications for the way that the prisons handled this. Just because these people are in prison, just because they did something wrong, doesn't mean they should be forced to be in conditions that could end their life. And I think we're going to have more and more problems when inmates start dying. And again, this has not been a top priority for the state. It has not been a top priority for Governor Lee. But one of Governor Lee's priorities has been the sharing of patient information, those who have tested positive for the coronavirus, with police departments and sheriff's offices. The same information that is actually being independently shared between city health officials and police here in Nashville. Governor Lee sees this sharing of information as a priority to help protect police officers so that they know who who is tested positive when they come into contact with somebody. In Nashville, the Metro Health Department confirmed that officials have been providing to the the Metro Nashville Department the addresses of people who have tested positive or are quarantined for COVID-19. That data is then put into the police department's computer system so that an officer can know when they've come into contact with somebody that has the virus. This is a precaution that that they think is necessary. 
But Heidi Weinberg, the executive director of the ACLU of Tennessee, criticized the policy's impact on privacy and said it's more important for law enforcement agencies to focus on offering officers proper protective gear as a way to keep them safe rather than sharing private information about a person's health status. Protecting the health of first responders is certainly an important priority. However, public health experts have noted disclosing names and addresses of positive cases does not protect first responders, as many people have not been tested. I think in Tennessee right now, we're up to about 4%, which which is a very high number nationwide. But many people who do carry the virus are asymptomatic in that. And Heidi, Heidi Weinberg said all of that in, in a statement. She said that disclosing the personal information of individuals who will never have contact with law enforcement raises fundamental concerns about privacy without yielding a significant public health benefit. It is incumbent that any government policy implemented during the pandemic be grounded in science and public health and be no more intrusive on civil liberties than absolutely necessary. The Tennessee Black Caucus of state legislators has also called upon Governor Lee and state health officials to end this practice of sharing names and addresses of residents with the police. Caucus Chairman Hardaway of Memphis said the practice may have a chilling effect that keeps those who are distrustful of the government from being tested for coronavirus. He said, Our membership has heard from many in the African-American community who are concerned by the release of personal data without their knowledge, as well as many in the Hispanic community who fear possible other uses of other information. And this goes to a much broader discussion, by the way, of the way that, that some communities view the police, especially minority communities who are disproportionately impacted by unconstitutional police tactics and unnecessary violence. There is actual data that shows that a, a mistrust of, of, of police generally makes it more likely that someone will not call the police if there is an actual issue or if there's a problem going on because, because they just don't know what the response will be. And that's the same here. They're less likely to go to the government to be tested if they think that all their information is being shared with police who they do not believe are, are working in their best interest and who are actually invading more rights. But generally, we've just seen multiple constitutional arguments play out in the midst of all this. And from the right, this whole time, there has been concerns of, of rights relating to the stay-at-home order. But some Republicans are joining in criticizing this particular move. Jason Zachary, state rep, who, by the way, I hope loses in his re-election efforts. But he said, it's my understanding there's some gray areas around the releasing of HIPAA information, but I think it's a very slippery, slippery slope when you begin to release people's private health information to anyone for any reason without their consent. And I completely agree with that. But Governor Lee, I don't think we'll be taking any more major steps to address this crisis. Stuart McWhorter, Lee's former commissioner for the Department of Finance and Administration, stepped into the role as the director of Tennessee's COVID-19 Unified Command Group. But he is leaving that position at the end of May. He's returning to his venture capital firm and will be working with Clemson University, taking on a senior advisory role there. I don't know what this means for the task force or for the unified command group itself. I don't know if they are planning on disbanding and focusing on other things. But I think that that's very, very premature to start stepping away from our from our response to COVID-19. Things are going to get worse. And, and Dr. Fauci confirmed confirmed exactly that today when he was testifying before the Senate Health Committee. 
But beyond just the general health of Tennesseans, as we've discussed in some other episodes, education is a really big priority. Former Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam and his wife on Tuesday announced they were establishing a statewide tutoring program to help grade school students at risk of falling behind because of COVID-19. The program will employ at least a thousand college students, many of whom are, whom are missing summer internships because, because of the pandemic, and the student tutors will receive a thousand dollar stipend. The college students need money too if, if, these, if these tutors are expected to work long hours to, to work through their summer to make sure that kids can got, get caught up. I don't see how that that is only valued at a thousand dollars for three months of work. I want a little, I want some more details on that. And I will just go ahead and also drop in that unpaid internships are also inherently unfair and tend to favor more well-off students who are able to work for free. And it limits a lot of opportunity for people who, for who that simply is not an option. But while we're talking about education, it's also important to point out that the $38 million that was going to Governor Lee's now failed voucher program could go a long way in filling some gaps for students, for preparing our teachers and schools as we begin to think about what what the school year will look like when students can go back. Dr. Anthony Fauci is warning that Congress that if the country reopens too soon, there will be needless suffering and death. Schools open too soon, they could become hotspots for the virus unless more precautions are taken, unless we continue to delay large gatherings of people. But aside from just the, the strictly, uh, from the needless suffering and death that will result, we currently have 30 million people unemployed. This is depression era level numbers of unemployment. And so far, the government's main response has been a single stimulus check for people who are suffering the most. What I'm really hoping to see is a new wave of planning and idealism in America so that we can see something similar to a, a, new, a new deal type of package that was required, a new deal to get people back to work, to get money for people, to provide health care for people, and to try to save our crumbling American economy. In Congress, Senator Lamar Alexander is self-quarantining for 14 days after a member of his staff tested positive for COVID-19. This also comes out as we learn that Vice President Mike Pence's press secretary tested positive for COVID-19, along with more information that other people in the West Wing are testing positive for the coronavirus. More people are having to quarantine. And it's unsurprising that's what happens when you don't take this threat seriously, when you downplay it, and when you spread misinformation about it. Tennessee Congressman Phil Rowe called for Congress to reconvene, to come back and start coming up with a plan. He said, we've been working from home for two months. Meanwhile, 16-year-olds are bagging groceries. Healthcare workers are caring for the sick. Public safety officers are keeping us safe. Sanitation workers are collecting the trash, but the House hasn't held a committee hearing. On the evening of September 11, 2001, Congress returned to the Capitol, Capitol steps to show strength in the face of a national threat. The House didn't work from home until risks were eliminated. They went back to work. And it, was, it was so close. I was almost agreeing with him a little bit, but then he brings in September 11th. Obviously, that terrorist, a terrorist attack is, is very different than a global pandemic. But I think he does have a point. Congress needs to do something. Congress needs to step up and start providing some sort of relief for people. I know Senator Mitch McConnell said that he's not interested in the Senate pursuing more stimulus packages. But the members of the House, a lot of them are financially doing very, very well off. And I don't think that they're all fully relating to the suffering of, of millions of Americans right now who don't have a job and who are looking for their government to do something to help them. 
and they're just not acting. Congressman Jim Cooper wrote a letter to to Speaker Pelosi and their majority and the Democrats majority leader saying that schools have been hit hard by the COVID-19 crisis. Costs for technology, training, student meal distribution and cleaning services have increased exponentially. K through 12 system needs federal funds to provide schools with the needed lifeline to retain their workers and serve students. And he's absolutely right. And this is just one of the many issues that, that Congress needs to address. Congress needs to get back to work. They need to come up with a solution. They need to listen to what the experts are saying, but they should also follow the lead of a lot of countries who are providing plenty of relief for their citizens. Representative Mark Green was at a White House meeting recently. He went on again, blaming China, despite this being our problem right now for, for months, and said, in Tennessee, we are open for business. We're going to restaurants. Businesses are running again, and we're ready to lead the nation. Tennesseans appreciate your phased plan, referring to Trump. And we're implementing it back home. Thank you for your leadership, sir. It's funny, though, because Tennessee actually didn't follow the plan. They chose to begin phase one without the numbers indicating a slow decline. They were moving far ahead of what the White House was recommending. And I don't think it's going to end well for the state. I think we're going to see the numbers go up. I think more people are going to die. And this is with with Dr. Fauci saying today that the official death total for the U.S. as a whole is not adequate. He wasn't willing to say that the numbers are 50% higher, though some people are indicating that, but he did say that they are probably much, much higher than what we're reporting right now. Representative Chuck Fleischman praised the manufacturing of the sock masks that Governor Lee ordered without a bid process and without confirming the effectiveness of such masks. They are by no means medical grade and are porous, but they were made in a manufacturing operation here in Tennessee. He was proud of that regardless of the ineffectiveness of the masks themselves. The government went ahead and, and ordered about 5 million of them. But Chuck Fleischman also praised nuclear energy, calling it critically important for the United States. He posted an article that I read that it was that was very interesting. It, it mentions France and Sweden, countries that, that decarbonized their grid decades ago and now emit less than a tenth of the world average of CO2 per kilowatt hour. They remain among the world's most pleasant places to live and enjoy much cheaper electricity they did this through nuclear power. They did it fast, taking advantage of nuclear power's intense concentration of energy per pound of fuel. France replaced almost all of its fossil fuel electricity with nuclear power nationwide in 15 years. Sweden did it in about 20 years. In fact, most of the fastest additions of clean electrical history are countries rolling out nuclear power. And those worried about costs. This article indicates that costs could plunge as a result of, of building more nuclear reactors when they're built in quantity. Production kinks can be worked out. The price can be driven down. China and South Korea can now build reactors at one-sixth the current cost in the United States. And with the political will, China could replace coal without sacrificing economic growth, reducing world carbon emissions by more than 10%. Dozens of American startups are developing fourth-generation reactors that can be mass-produced and potentially generate electricity at lower costs than even fossil fuels. If America works hard, if we prioritize renewable energy, I don't see why that wouldn't be possible nationwide. We would also be able to start exporting the reactors to poorer countries that don't have energy efficiency like we do, that maybe can't afford fossil fuels. This would also be a huge boon for the U.S. economy, create potentially millions of jobs. In election news, William Francis Haggerty, the fourth, he is running for Senate in Tennessee. He was praising President Donald Trump, saying that his administration is working tirelessly to safely get our economy going again. It's time for states to follow his lead and safely reopen. 
And again, he, he was also praising South Dakota's governor who chose not to issue a stay at home order because she thought it was dangerous for people to give up their liberty. But I'm wondering whether if Haggerty, if he if he were governor here in Tennessee, would he have chosen not to issue a stay at home order despite warnings from thousands of medical professionals in this state and more across the country who said it would lead to more deaths and overrun hospitals if the shelter in place order wasn't issued and that the virus itself would not be controllable if we didn't take steps early on. While Bill Haggerty is concerned with playing politics, and probably just keeping his millions, James Mackler is urging the state to do something more. He's urging the state to expand Medicaid. Medicaid expansion is one of those things that has so much public support. A Mason-Dixon poll of registered Tennesseans found that more than two to one support for Medicaid expansion across all demographics. Men are for it. Women are for it. Old people are for it. Young people are for it. White voters are for it. Black voters are for it. East Tennesseans like it. Middle Tennesseans like it. West Tennesseans like it. Democrats, Republicans, and independents all like it are all for it. But Tennessee, along with some other red states, continue to ignore what people want, continue to ignore the facts surrounding Medicaid expansion and the benefits it would offer the state and would rather play politics instead. We're currently stuck with a governor and a legislature that don't even want to think about it. Their priorities right now are giving money to private schools and increasing gun access to residents. And that is not a winning combination in the face of of a global pandemic or for a state that wants this. But the same argument could be made for for medical cannabis here in the state. Something like 80 percent of people support it. But for whatever reason... The Republican leadership here in this state cannot be bothered with that. That's it for the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us for more news and updates at TriStar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson. Thanks for listening.